the unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect truth is seldom met with even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha. Homage to the Dharma. Homage to the Sangha. Today we're going to talk about taking hold of bodhicitta, the heart that seeks the way. And Shantideva begins this section with joy. He rejoices in the virtues of the Buddhas which relieve beings from suffering, whatever they may be in the six worlds. And he prays to the Buddhas to remain in the world to preach the Dharma in order to help beings. It's interesting that embedded in this text are the ten great vows of Samantabhadra, which I'm going to read to you very briefly. I vow to pay homage to all the Buddhas. I vow to praise the Tathagatas, the Buddhas. I vow to make unlimited offerings. I vow to repent and reform all karmic hindrances. I vow to rejoice in others' merit and virtue. I vow to request that the Buddhas turn the Dharma wheel. I vow to request that the Buddhas continue living in the world. I vow to always follow the Buddha's teachings. I vow to always comply with the needs of all sentient beings. I vow to transfer all merit and virtue universally. So Shantideva has been doing this, a lot of these things. I just thought it was nice to just mention that because they're all just there, all those vows. Yes, Buddhas, please help us. Please stay in the world. Please help beings and I will help too. So now Shantideva offers himself for the benefit of beings. He's done his repentance yesterday. He's let it all go. He's not going to go back. He doesn't dwell on his past mistakes, which is a great blessing for us. Maybe we can not go back to the past and things we've done or un- left undone. It's so easy to go back and dwell on things that we regret or things that we you know, should have done or should not. And that's one of the karmic hindrances, actually, the Buddha says is, dwelling on the past, dwelling on regret. So let it be less, let it go like Chantideva and just move on with joy and freedom from impediment in that way. So Chantideva has these beautiful verses to help, just offering himself for the benefit of being to relieve their suffering. Joyful generosity, giving everything, holding nothing back, as he says, he gets all enthusiastic. Yes, I'm going to do it. So let's have a look. He says, My body, thus, and all my goods besides, and all the merits gained and to be gained, I give them all and do not count the cost to bring about the benefit of beings. Because he's asked, he wished to become to help beings with their sicknesses. May I become the doctor, the nurse, and the medicine itself, raining down a flood of food and drink, dispelling the, earth, the ills of thirst and famine, and so on. For destitute beings, can I be a treasure ever plentiful? So now, he says, thus, my body and all my goods besides, 
I, I give them all and do not count the cost. Because he says, Nirvana is attained by giving all. Nirvana is the object of my striving. And all must be surrendered in a single instant at death. Therefore it is best to give it all to others. There's no sense in clutching on to things. You have to let it all go anyway. So we just just give freely of whatever is helpful to beings. And he does, he says this in a number of ways throughout this whole text, in different ways. First he's made the offerings to the Buddhas, now he's offering things to other beings in all sorts of different ways. And even people who wish to harm him, he includes. Not just the people who are nice or that he doesn't worry about, people, even he, people who don't like him. All those who slight me to my face or do to me some other evil, even if they blame or slander me, may they attain the fortune of enlightenment. As we remember, Shantideva and at Nalanda University, they didn't like him, you know. They, they probably weren't very nice to him. But he said, oh, may I, may they also attain enlightenment. You know? And for us, if there are people we have difficulty with, who are not always kind to us, can we let go of that ill will between us and truly wish them well? It's not always easy. It can seem easy to say, I wish to help all beings. But then we might think, well, what about so-and-so? It was really difficult. Do I truly want to help them too, you know, on their practical level? Well, I'm not so sure. Sometimes it can seem harder with an actual being, a human being, somebody we know and have to work with, but it's not impossible. And wishing to help all beings does help us to soften our difficult relationships. It helps us to open the heart to the people we deal with in daily life. So it does help. If we, it seems a bit idealistic. I wish to help all beings, but not that one. You know, It can actually... But that wish to help all beings does help us, because we see the absurdity of it for a start. But it does help us to open the heart and to wish good for everybody. So Shantideva offers himself in all possible ways for the benefit of beings. It's just beautiful. May I be a guide for those who are protectorless, a guide for those who journey on the road, for those who wish to cross the water. May I be a boat, a raft, a bridge. Can it be an island for people who long, yearn for land, a lamp for those who long for light, a bed for those who need a resting place? So many ways he, would, he wants to offer himself. A tree of miracles, you know. May I always be the ground of life, the source of varied sustenance. But in order to help beings, Chantideva knows he needs to cultivate bodhicitta and keep the precepts because you can't really help others if you're not doing the practice yourself. So as he says, just as all the Buddhas of the past have brought forth the awakened mind and in the precepts of the Buddhasattva step by step abode and trained, likewise for the benefit of beings I will bring to birth the awakened mind and in those precepts step by step I will abide and train myself. And this is the foundation of our training in the way of the Bodhisattva. It's essential. Actually, those verses are, I think, uh, one of the traditional 
vows is that in the Tibetan tradition, that as all the Buddhas have brought forth the awakened mind and kept the precepts, so I will do the same. I'll bring to birth the awakened mind, bodhicitta, and train myself in the precepts step by step. Arousing bodhicitta, cultivating the heart that seeks the way of the bodhisattva, keeping to the precepts, all these things are essential. And doing this will inspire other beings to cultivate bodhicitta as well. And Shantideva imagines their joy as they do this, and he speaks on their behalf, these other beings who cultivate, who see this example, see the joy of wishing to help other beings to realize enlightenment for the sake of not just ourselves, but all beings. And they think, oh, I want to do that. So he's speaking on their behalf, saying, for I am like a blind man who has found a precious gem inside a heap of dust. For so it is by some strange chance that bodhicitta has been born in me. There's a sense of grace in this. It's not just through our own efforts that we awaken bodhicitta. There's something else. We've received the rare gift of a human body, and even more rare, the ability to hear the Dharma and put it into practice, and the awakening of bodhicitta for the benefit of ourselves and all beings. Not just looking for enlightenment to make us feel better, but to help ourselves and all beings. And there's great joy in Shantideva's voice as he speaks of bodhicitta. It's the supreme draft that slays the Lord of Death. The rich, unfailing treasure mine, the sovereign remedy for all maladies, the universal bridge, the rising moon of the enlightened mind, the mighty sun that dispels the mists of ignorance, and so on. Always lovely analogies. Really beautiful and inspiring. And finally he says... And so today, within the sight of all protectors, I summon beings, calling them to Buddhahood. Until that state is reached, to every earthly joy, may gods and demigods and all the rest rejoice. Lovely. Well, now we come to the chapter on carefulness. And after this flood of enthusiasm, it's as though Shantideva is thinking, uh-oh, what have I let myself in for? I'm going to be all enthusiastic. Yes, I'm going to do this. What have I signed up for? And he says, Although a promise and a pledge were given, it is right to reconsider. Shall I act or not? Do I really want to do this? And then he says, Yes, I have to do it. I've promised. And if I let beings down, what destiny must lie in store for me? What's going to happen if I you know, don't follow through, if he doesn't keep his promise? He might fall into the hells or the realm of the hungry ghost. He can't offer something and then take it back. You know, then take it back. He has to follow through. So he says, And so, according to my promise, I will act attentively. From this day forth, if I now fail to strive, I'll fall from, fall from low to even lower states, fall back, fall into hell, which is, you know, he keeps kind of worrying about hell was... There's, there's reason for that, actually. It's not like it's just a pretend thing. He worries about, you know, not keeping to that wonderful opportunity. He has this wonderful and rare opportunity. The appearance of the Buddhas in the world, true faith, a human body, 
and an aptitude for good, as he puts it. And he says, when will they come to me again? If he doesn't make use of it now, when will he get another chance? And the same is true for us. We have this human body. We've encountered the Dharma and we want to practice it. It's a rare and wonderful thing not to be taken for granted and not to be lost. So the analogy of the turtle and the yoke. The, the Buddha made this analogy. It's as though a turtle was swimming in the sea and just one yoke, a, a circle of wood, I guess, is floating on the surface of the sea and the turtle just happens to put his head up through that yoke. It's as rare as that that we can find a human body. Never mind, find the Dharma. So we want to make use of this opportunity. So Shantideva knows that he could die at any time. Life is fleeting. He wonders, you know, he thinks about this quite a bit. And he says it would be madness to lose this precious chance and fall into hell by going back to his old ways. And he knows he's quite capable of doing that, of falling back. He doesn't become complacent and think he's beyond falling back or falling into evil ways. He knows he has weaknesses and he keeps his eye on them. Very wise. Very good advice for us too. Never think we've made it. And we don't have to keep making the effort. And that's why this chapter is entitled Carefulness. We need to take care with what we do. We must nourish bodhicitta, which helps us to follow the right path. And we need to keep to the precepts as best we can to take care, carefulness in our training, not just taking it for granted or getting sloppy about it. But it's not that easy, Shantideva says, he might sometimes feel benumbed, mindless, dull-witted. So with all this enthusiasm, what is it that gets in his way? You know, Why is it not that easy? He says, oh, what is it that has me in its grip? It's anger, lust, those enemies of mine, he says. But then he says, well, anger and lust, these enemies, they don't have any limbs or faculties, they can't see or hear, they have no bravery, they've got no cleverness, it was there. So how have they reduced him to such slavery, he asks, how can it be? Why is it, do they not just disappear? What gives them their power over him? And how is it that anger and lust and so on still have that power over Shantideva? We know what this is like. And he answers himself, they dwell within my mind and had their pleasure injure me. And he hasn't yet dealt with them. They dwell within his mind and that's why they have power over him because he hasn't actually faced them and dealt with them. So he says, Oh, my enemy, afflictive passion, anger, lust, fear and all that. Endless and beginningless companion. No other enemy indeed is able to endure so long. Just keep on going, you know. But he's going to do battle. He thinks of it as an enemy. And he says, I will not leave the fight until before my eyes these enemies of mine are all destroyed. Once again, his enthusiasm is roused. No matter what it takes, he will do it. He rouses his courage, you know. Because Shantideva knows that in order to free others from suffering, 
He has to liberate himself from his defilements. He has to practice what he preaches. Otherwise it won't work. So he rouses himself. He goes on about war and battle and so on for some time. And he says, This shall be my all-consuming passion. Filled with rancor, I will wage my war. Which I think is cute, actually. Anyway. (laughs) He's using anger to overcome anger. Filled with rancor, I will wage my war against the defilements. And he says, well, yes, however, miserable defilements scattered by the eye of wisdom, where will you now run when driven from my mind? Whence would you return to do me harm? But, oh, my mind is feeble. I am indolent. I am lazy. Well, we can all relate to this. We have the great wish to overcome our defaults, but we get lazy. And we don't always do it very well. We have weaknesses and we sometimes give in to them. We know this. However, there is hope. And Shanti Deva says something that's really important. These defilements, anger and lust and so on, they're not actually real things. As he says, defilements are not in the object. They're not in the things that we're dealing with. It's it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that harmless little piece of pie. It's a perfectly innocent piece of pie. It's what we do with it, you know, or whatever it might be. Defilements are not in the object, nor within the faculties, nor somewhere in between. There's nothing wrong with our, you know, vision and our hearing and our taste, and taste buds and so on. They're perfectly pure and innocent, but it's what we do with them. So defilements are not in the object, nor within the faculties, nor somewhere in between. And if not elsewhere, where does their abode? Whence can they, where is their abode? Whence they inflict their havoc on the world? Where do, they, where do they come from, these defilements? Where are they? You know, how is it that they create so much suffering in our world? But we can't actually find them. We can't actually find our anger and greed and fear. They're just mirages. They're simple mirages. So take heart. Banish all your fear and strive to know their nature. Why suffer needlessly the pains of hell? Don't despair or give up. Just try to know the nature of our defilements, to see them. We can't actually see our anger. Where is it? When it's there, suddenly it arises, then it disappears. So it's not a real thing. It's just in my mind, you know. They're just in our mind. And you just look into them and see that they are not the reality. We don't have to be, we don't have to believe everything we think. We don't have to believe our impulses. We don't have to be ruled by them. We can actually liberate ourselves. So it ends on this nice note of hope, having said, I'll rage my war and so forth. But actually, the defilements aren't real. They're simple mirages, and so take heart. Banish all your fear and strive to know their nature. Why suffer needlessly the pains of hell? Because, as we know, the defilements are what cause the troubles in this world, or the anger, fear, selfishness, and so on. And he says, This is how I should reflect and labor, that I might apply the precepts thus set forth. What invalids in need of medicine ignored their doctor's words and gained their health? So, he says, take the medicine, do the training, and liberate ourselves from 
suffering. And that is teaching for us today. Homage to all the Buddhas in all worlds. Homage to all the Bodhisattvas in all worlds. Homage to the scripture of great wisdom. <laughs>